And just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, as well as the HubSpot Podcast Network. Now, the HubSpot Podcast Network has other incredible podcasts, like the Salesman Podcast, hosted by Will Barrett. Now, if you work in sales, or you want to learn how to sell, or peek at the latest in sales news, check out the Salesman Podcast, where host Will Barron helps sales professionals learn how to find buyers and win big business in effective and ethical ways. Now, if some of these topics resonate with you, you're going to love the Salesman Podcast. The psychology of the perfect cold call, uh, successful cold email trends for 2022, the four-step process to influencing buying decisions, or the digital sales room, the future of B2B sales. If these topics hit home, you're going to love the Salesman Podcast. Listen to the Salesman Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today, my guest is Coot Blackson. Coot is a transformational speaker and national best-selling author. He's written the book, You Are the One, as well as his new book, The Magic of Surrender. He's been featured on the Larry King Now Show, as well as Dr. Drew, NPR, Fox and Friends, Mind, Body, and Green, and many more. He speaks at countless events he organizes around the world, as well as at outside events, including AFEST, YPO, or Young Presidents Organization, and EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. He is a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, which is a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry. He is a winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award, and he is widely considered to be a next generational leader in personal development. His mission is very simple, to awaken and to inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. So what we did in this podcast is we try to help people understand where they're spending their time, where they're spending their attention in the following steps. First, we spoke about deprogramming. We have to deprogram what we know to be true in terms of what success is, what happiness is, uh, where we put our time, what job you want to do, and he's going to show you how to do that. And once we deprogram, then he's going to show you how to find clarity, clarity in what you actually should be doing and how you can take actionable steps to get there. After you find clarity and you figure out your vision and where you want to go in your life, in your personal and professional sphere, then you have to operate at your highest level and you have to not get in your own way. And he's going to teach you how to do that as well. And then lastly, a little bit morbid, but it's important why embracing your own mortality and your own death is key to accomplishing all of these steps. So hopefully after this, you will understand 
what is actually important to you, what isn't. You'll be able to use this podcast as a podcast that will force you to self-reflect a little bit, maybe increase that self-awareness, and then hopefully it'll allow you to understand where you want to put your time, attention, and energy to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve in your life, and you'll understand that once you go through the teachings and some of the steps that he uh, teaches over. So let's jump right into it. This is Coot Blackson. He is a transformational speaker as well as national best-selling author. Yeah, look, I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London, now live in the US. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world. But for me as a young boy, I was a very empathetic kid and I always felt uh, people's feelings. I felt people suffering very deeply. And there was a part of me as a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old that I wanted to alleviate their suffering in some way. I didn't exactly know what that would look like. So there was there was a deep empathy and feeling in me. I, I felt people's pain. I would see see people, and this is in London, I'd see people just on, on the tube, on the train, on the bus, and they were just on this hamster wheel, like they were living in the matrix and they just felt so so uh, uh, lifeless. You know, they weren't alive. And, and I just felt them. I didn't really have full comprehension of what the hell was going on. I just knew people were in pain. And so... I didn't know how to alleviate their suffering. Um, for me, what also impacted my life was my father and the upbringing. Uh, a lot of people called it a different, unusual, strange, mystical upbringing. For me, it felt very normal. In other words, I remember being age seven, age eight, being a chubby kid lost in the crowd. And one of my first memories was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on, my father, wipes it on her face. By the way, he doesn't know. He's just walking. Thousands of people following him. She picks up the sand. This man walks on, wipes it on her face and stands up. Call it a miracle. And so week after week, I, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people. Yeah, miracles, literally. You know, the type of miracles that you think, come on, is that shit real? Is that is that is that real? Are they faking it? But... I grew up seeing it with my own eyes, day after day, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing. My father would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick, stand up. And she would stand up. My father would look at someone who came to him in crutches and he would say, why do you have these crutches? Do you believe? If you really believe, if you really believe, believe with me, throw the crutches away and start walking. And so my father was considered like, His nickname was the Miracle Man of Africa. Um, very spiritual, mystical guy. Uh, the spiritual teacher to presidents in Africa, kings in Africa, heads of state. Uh, he built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, hundreds, hundreds of thousands of sort of uh, devotees, so to speak. He had a huge church in London, three to 4,000 people every Sunday. So I grew up in this environment. For me, I didn't think anything unusual about it. I didn't think anything... I think that was one of the blessings is I didn't think anything strange about it. It just seemed normal. And because of that, I grew up with a sense of no limits, limitlessness. There were no limits. Blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people standing up out of wheelchairs. Everything is possible. And so everything is possible and it's just normal that it's possible. And, and I think I was, I didn't realize at the time it was a blessing to, to, to be that open. And so when I was age eight, my speaking career began because uh, my father just threw me in front of the audience one day and said, speak, my son's going to speak. 
had no idea what I was going to say. I wasn't that in, I wasn't interested in speaking. I was more interested in playing soccer outside, but they put me on the front row and I remember being on stage and words started to come out of my mouth and I just started speaking. And that began a journey with communication and speaking for me that was really profound. Uh, at, at 14, I was designated to be the successor for my father's ministry. My father announced once again, unbeknownst to me, that I was going to be taking over. We didn't have a conversation about it. He just announced it. And, and I guess I should have been excited, but my heart sank because in that moment, I knew that this was not my path. I knew this, this was not my trajectory. I knew that this was not my purpose. This was not my destiny, that my entire life <clears throat> was being mapped out for me by everyone else and my father, everyone else but me. And so when he announced to the congregation, my son's taking over, I felt terror, I felt anger, I felt, I felt all of these emotions, but I was too afraid to tell my father the truth. My fear was if I spoke my truth to my father. My fear was if I really dared to be who I was and shared myself, that I would not be loved, I would lose his love, I'd be outcast, I'd be alone, I'd be abandoned. And so uh, for four years, I went along with it. Uh, dealt with a lot of turmoil and conflict and frustration and questioning. And so 14 to 18, I was ordained and spoke in the church and served the people. And I just knew that something wasn't quite right. And when I was 18, I had some decisions to make. Um, I looked into my future and I decided that I, I wasn't going to take over my father's ministry for sure that I didn't want to go to university, that if I wanted to help people with life, that I had to live life. So I felt this calling to come to the US. I felt this calling to come to America. I felt this calling to come to Southern California, specifically because from a young age too, I started reading all of the books on my father's bookshelf. I began a, an, an obsession with personal growth from the age of eight, the age of nine. And so from that, that young age, I began reading everything from Eastern uh, Eastern mystics, people like Ramana Maharishi, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, uh, Krishnamurti, to the Western mystics, Blavatsky, Theosophy, to the Western self-help gurus, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Deepak Chopra. For me, this became my obsession, just trying to understand who we are and why we're here and what the purpose of life is. And, and you know, also in my father's church, a lot of the people that came to my father's church in London they didn't have a lot of money. They weren't that educated. They, they had very little, but were, they were truly generous and happy people. They had every reason to not be happy, but were happy. And for a couple of years, I got a scholarship to a very prestigious school called Dulwich College. It's where a lot of politicians' sons, you know, multi-millionaires kids, president's sons, prime minister's sons went. And so here I am, surrounded by a group of people that have every reason to be happy, but they weren't. And so this also began another level of questioning. And so as I read these books, for me, the, the quest was just trying to understand life and the purpose of life and the nature of life. And like, is the purpose of life just to wake up, go to work, wake up, go to work, make money, buy a car, go on vacation, and then die? Like, surely there has to be more to the nature of existence and why we're here than that. And and if so, what is it? And so as I started reading these self-help books, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Marianne Williamson, Louise Hay, I was obsessed just trying to figure life out. And when I turned 18, <clears throat> I looked into my future, the path that was carved down. I projected 20, age 30, age 40, age 50, age 60. As I projected into the future, 
I felt such a deep pain inside because I saw that I could be successful by everyone else's standards. I could be successful by my father's standards and the world's standards. But if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my own integrity, if I didn't have my own soul, if I didn't have my own truth, what kind of success is that? And it became very clear to me that I can't be truly fulfilled and happy being someone that I'm not. I can't be truly fulfilled and happy living someone else's life. And in that moment, painfully, I knew what to do. Painfully, because I knew that following my soul, and I think sometimes what your soul, what your true inner guidance guides you to do, isn't always safe, is not always convenient, doesn't always make sense to your mind. And I felt this calling to come to the US. And I knew that I had to leave my father's ministry. I had to leave everything I knew behind. And I knew that would break my father's heart. And for me, it was terrifying. You know, there's often a lot of, a lot of talk about being fearless, ridding yourself of fear. And, and when you find your purpose, everything unfolds and it's easy. I think sometimes when you find your true purpose and calling in life, it's terrifying. It's scary because it forces you to expand outside of your comfort zone. It forces you to go beyond who you were before. So for me, it was terrifying. Uh, I knew I had to confront my father and a huge, let's say, shift in my life beget, really began when at 18, I had the conversation with my father very scary conversation of telling him I wasn't going to take over his churches. Um, I was going to leave. Uh, he, all he said was, are you sure? I said, yes. We didn't speak for two years. Um, <clears throat> that was really hard. Um, but something happened. I really believe that when you follow your soul and you choose not to compromise your authentic truth, your authentic self, and you honor that deep impulse inside, you will always end up in the right place at the right time, even if the route that you take isn't the one you most expect. And so after having this conversation with my father, I was in this uh, sort of abyss. I felt like I was free falling in darkness in the middle of nowhere, where I had this calling, yet I had no means to get there, no means to fulfill it, no college degree, no money, no father's support, no nothing, knew, knew no one in the US. And I said a prayer one day. I was sitting in the library of my school. I said, universe, like if, if, if the dream that I have is real, if the dream that I have is authentic, I need a sign. I need a sign now. I feel this calling to come to America. And I think so many of us, we give up right before the breakthrough. We're in the moment of darkness and we begin to question, are we crazy? Am I, am, am I, am I, am I wanting too much? Uh, why can't I just settle for being happy where, where I'm at? But I think that if you have a dream, that dream is, is put into your soul for a reason and inside of that dream is also encoded the seed for its fulfillment. And I believe that the dream doesn't belong to you, it belongs to life. And our job is to say yes to it. So here I am, I said yes to this dream, no freaking idea how it was going to happen. And I'm saying this prayer to the universe like, don't leave me in the middle of the ocean right now. And, and I said, look, I've read hundreds of self-help books you know, leap and the net will appear, all of this stuff. And I said, universe, I need to know this shit works right now. I need to know this stuff works. And I kid you not, within, I don't know, an hour, two hours, someone, a kid hands me a magazine called The Economist. I feel a strange feeling and I follow clues. I look in the back of the magazine, there's an ad, a commercial, an ad. It says the American government is giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery, the DV1 green card lottery. I feel chills. I have this feeling I'm going to win. 
as crazy as it sounds, I apply through this law firm. I was told that unless you heard, this was April, I was told that unless you heard by September the 18th, just move on with your life, you won't get a notification. Every day I'm visualizing, I'm, 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 I'm seeing myself in America. I cut out a piece of paper, colored it green. I'm visualizing, I think, Bill Clinton or you know, whoever at the time, shake my hand, uh, coming to America. I had all these visions. Every day, nothing. September the 18th comes along, nothing. I'm disappointed. I'm giving up. I'm mad at the universe. I decide I'm going, going to go to America. Like I'm going to pack my bags, go to America. I'm not coming back. That night, pack my bags, tell my mother I'm going in the next week. I'm going to buy a ticket. I'm going to go, green card, visa or not. I go to sleep. I get a phone call from the law firm that I've applied through, American Voice on the other line. It says, is this Mr. Blackson? I said, yes. He said, this is the law firm you, you applied for the green card through, for. He says, um, you want a green card. We just got noticed today. We can't believe it. You've won. And here I am. I start celebrating and freaking out. And I hear this very gentle voice inside that says, why do you seem so surprised? Like, you, you knew. Did you lose faith? Did you not trust? And so that's how I came to the U.S. You know, two suitcases, one suitcase full of books and self-help books, one suitcase full of clothes, $800, came to the U.S. as an 18-year-old kid in pursuit of a dream and pursuit of a calling. And that calling was to go into this field of personal development and inspire people and help, uh, help remind people of who they really were. And so I came to the U.S. and I found mentors. You know, I, I went and found the Deepak Chopras and the Jack Canfields and the Mark Victor Hansons of the world and studied with some of them, learned from some of them. A few years later, what really shifted my life and I would say my career and my entire evolution was I began to travel. I got to a place where I felt stuck and I decided that I was going to shave my head put everything in storage, break up with my girlfriend, and travel until I found certain answers. I wanted to find certain truths and answers for myself. I was tired of looking outside. I was tired of reading about it. And so... Did you know what you were looking for? Did you know what you needed? I was looking for happiness. I was looking for my true purpose. I was looking for myself. I was looking... Look, at that time, you know, I wanted to be the next Oprah, and I was chasing success, and I was chasing fame, and I, I wanted to make an impact, but I think maybe I got caught up in the sort of egocentric Hollywood game of like, I want to be Oprah, and I want to change the world, which is great, but I think I got so attached, and I got so rejected and so attached that... I think I just got to the place of feeling like I was looking for success and validation in the world and nothing was really bringing me fulfillment and happiness. You know, I got a radio show, I wasn't happy, had a beautiful girlfriend, wasn't happy. And I thought, what is, like, what is this life? This isn't what I came to America for. You know, I came for a different reason. And so shaved my head, put everything in storage, let go of everything, sold everything, traveled, went, walked the Camino in northern Spain, went to Thailand, studied with monks, went to Israel. You know, all roads for me ended up leading to India, where most mystical spiritual seekers end up. And I ended up in India in search. I wanted to find happiness, you know, real happiness. And so, you know, and in LA, I saw a lot of people were chasing dreams, but they weren't happy and they weren't fulfilled. And so that really, that was a wake-up call for me because I saw all of these people obsessively chasing a dream. And I saw people that were at the beginning of that journey, I also saw people that were, you know, in the 40s and 50s and 60s at the end of that journey. Some had achieved and some hadn't achieved. And I didn't see a lot of people that were truly happy and fulfilled. And so as I went on this quest, I ended up in India and had some really profound 
uh, awakening reality experiences in India that broke and cracked me open. And it was out of that that I came back to LA uh, months later and felt like I had no money, no status, no bank, nothing. But I felt such a sense of inner freedom and inner joy and inner happiness that I wanted people to feel what I felt. And that's when I started working with, with people one-on-one and one person showed up and another person showed up. And this was before coaching was a thing. And one person showed up, another person showed up. Before you knew it, more and more people started showing up and my coaching practice grew. And then over the years, it's, it, it, it expanded into speaking and you know seminars and traveling and speaking around the world and filling, filling hotel rooms, the dreams I had as a kid, and then writing books and all of that good stuff. So that's, the, that's a bit of the short version of my journey. It's a good, it, no, it's a good <clears throat> version. Um, it's incredible. Some of the things that I've noticed that you pointed out, which are very interesting, and, and I, I'd love to unpack it because sure. you, you were drawn into the same environment that everybody <clears throat> else was drawn into when they're part of the U.S. and they're part of the rat race and they're trying to figure out what success looks like and they're hustling and they're working hard and they never really live. And you left your, you left your, your dad's congregation and then you came to the U.S. and you were almost drawn into it. So you actually, with high self-awareness, you understood that you left the U.S. again and you almost like did like a quick like deprogram of everything that was drawing you into the U.S., all the, all the things that people get stuck into their whole life. And then you came back and you taught now how to sort of deprogram and remove yeah. yourself away from all the negatives. So I think what and it ties back to another point you made that was very interesting how people that don't have a lot are extremely happy and people that do have almost anything you could ever ask for and then some are not happy and how do we how do we do what you did how do we do what you did how do you teach people Uh, to deprogram and and to understand what's (coughs) meaningful so that they don't look back when they're 70 or 80 or 90 and then say like i wasted my life trying to figure out something that doesn't even doesn't even actually mean anything when i'm on my deathbed yeah, I, I, th- so I'll, I'll, I think I'll do my best to explain it in two parts. The first part is just because you mentioned an important word, programmed, right? How do you deprogram? The fact is, first and foremost, we are programmed and we don't know we're programmed. So part of the challenge is we don't think we're programmed. We think that who we are is who we really are, but we don't realize that who we are is a process of being conditioned by society, by parents, by, by ancestors, by society, by media, by religion, by education, by media, by television. I mean, the list goes on. The matrix of life conditions us. And so we end up this product thinking this is who we are, not, not, not having the awareness that we are programmed. So the first step to breaking out of the programming is to become aware that you're actually programmed and we have to start questioning. And so as an example, and I'll share a few questions that, that, that one can start asking. We're born as children with these free beings. You look into a child's eyes, a child is in touch with their essence. A child is not so programmed. We're, a child doesn't know, like a baby, a kid doesn't know what's right, what's wrong, who's right, who's black, white, racism, this, that. It's just in touch with life. A child, a baby will, will, will stand on the table and sing. It doesn't care if it doesn't sound like Bruno Mars or Celine Dion. It's, it doesn't have that self-consciousness. Oh, what do people think? Do they like me? It's just being itself. It's being being. What happens? We lose touch with that. A child will stand naked. It doesn't care. Like, am I fat? Well, it's just being is radiant. It's like, I'm beautiful. Just being. 
What happened to that beingness? See, as children, we're born whole, perfect, complete, in touch with our true essence, in touch with that infinite spark, divine spark, that whatever our true essential self. What happens is we incarnate and we meet our parents. Our parents, they're just doing the best that they can do based on their programming. And often they don't know that they're programmed. They're just being what they've been taught to be. But we meet our parents and we're born into a preset framework of conditioning. And there's pain and there's hurt and there's dysfunction and there's trauma. Maybe dad's an alcoholic. Maybe mom is an alcoholic. Maybe there's abuse, mental, emotional, physical, sexual. Maybe there's divorce. Maybe there's abandonment. You know, maybe, maybe our parents were great people, but they just didn't know how to be present for us. They didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. And so the process of conditioning that is often unconscious begins at a very, very, very young age, begins almost from the beginning of time, the, the, the beginning moments of when we incarnate. The first thing is, as a young being, we learn to shut down, disconnect. We're in this environment, stuff is going on, it's painful, so we learn to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. We learn to develop all sorts of defense mechanisms, shut down, disconnect, not feel the fact that mom is not there, not feel the fact that they're screaming and, and, and fighting all the time and it's too painful. So we start shutting down, disconnecting, not feeling, suppressing those emotions, suppressing those emotions, suppressing those emotions. We start developing all sorts of defense mechanisms as a coping mechanism to deal with the craziness, to deal with the fighting, to deal with the uncertainty, to deal with the pain around us, shut down, disconnect, not feel. All of those feelings that we don't feel, we don't process, we suppress, begin to develop layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. And And before you know it, our true light, our true freedom, our true essence, our real self kind of gets hidden underneath all of the unfelt, suppressed emotions and feelings. And then we start contorting ourselves into a way of being to not deal with that pain. We become tough. We, we, we start not giving a shit. I don't care. These are all defense mechanisms to not, to not feel the pain because we're so sensitive. And deep down unconsciously, we develop these defense mechanisms that start disconnecting us from who we really are as a way so that we never feel that level of pain again. So now we start controlling and then we go into our life and then we do relationships. Imagine we, we learn the, the mechanism that we learn at age five. Now we're still doing it at age 25 and age 30 so that we don't feel that level of pain again. And we wonder why are my relationships not working? So often we're still stuck inside of these defense mechanisms unconsciously thinking that's who we are. No, I'm just that way. I just don't, I'm just, I just, I'm, an, I'm, I'm not an attached person. I'm just independent, not realizing that sometimes our independence is a defense mechanism for not getting needs met or being hurt, okay? And then we start developing, so we avoid pain. Then we start developing all sorts of roles, masks, and personas, and we start contorting ourselves into a certain shape in order to get love, validation, and approval from those around us. Who do I need to be in order for dad to love me? Who do I need to be in order to be loved by the world? Love, validation, approval. For me, unconsciously, I learned that I needed to be the good boy. I needed to be the good son. I needed to be perfect, get all lays, be appropriate, 
take care of everyone else's needs but mine. And if I do that, wow, cool, you're so good. You're amazing. And, and, and that got reinforced. And so now I started to develop a role a mo- that it wasn't who I really was. Because in doing that, unconsciously, we start betraying ourselves. We start lying to ourselves. We start betraying our authentic expression in order to get love, validation, and approval. Avoid pain, love, validation, and approval. It's a survival mechanism. Before you know, know it, we get locked into a, a certain shape, a certain pattern of being, of conditioning. And we think that the pattern that we have become, right? Scott, <laughs> Coot, like Coot is a certain pattern. Scott is a certain pattern, right? And the pattern that we become, we actually believe that that pattern is who we are. We have been programmed into that pattern. So first, I just want people to know you are not your programming. You are not the pattern. You are not who you think, like, is who you are who you think you are or is it who you've been conditioned to be? Because the degree to which we've been conditioned is the degree to which we are not truly free. We don't have free will. We're just reacting to the past, we're reacting to our parents, we're reacting to not feeling that pain again, we're reacting unconsciously, thinking we're free, and we're making choices that way. And so we really have to first, number one, be aware that we're programmed in that way. So what roles, what masks, what personas are you living inside of that you weren't even aware? Sometimes we say, oh, I'm just independent. I'm just shy. Um, No, it's programming. What roles, what masks, what personas have you... I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. 
I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours? That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. 
Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Learn to develop in order to function, survive, cope, and get love. Start becoming aware of those masks and those limitations because that will show you where more freedom is. The other thing I will also say is in order to begin the process of having a breakthrough, the process of being free, freedom isn't free. Freedom will require that you let go of an idea. Freedom will require that you let go of who you were. And one of the things that tends to keep us stuck in a certain way of being, stuck in the prison of our own conditioning, are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. In so many ways, unconsciously, for the reasons I shared, we lie to ourselves about who we are, about what we feel, about what we want, and we don't even know that we lie to ourselves. We think that's what we really feel. So without truly questioning, it's hard to break free. And so one of the places we can start is, you know, we stay in relationships <clears throat> that we know aren't right. We work jobs that we know we betray ourselves and we know this is not the purpose for why I was born. And life ticks on and life goes on. A decade, two decades passes by and we end up wasting so much time and we're filled with so much regret and pain and wonder why do I feel so much pain? And so one of the places we have to start, if we want to begin the process of freedom, begin the process of opening and transforming, is asking ourselves two, two or three simple questions. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? Sounds simple, but not always easy. There is no truth. There is no transformation without truth. What lies am I telling myself? Feel that. What lies am I telling myself? Acknowledge that. The more honest we're willing to be, the more we're going to move in the direction of freedom. What lies am I telling myself? To re- we have to really want the truth more than we want what we have. We have to want to be free more than we want what we want. And the challenging thing is if we're really honest, no judgment, if we're really honest as human beings, most of the time we want our safety. We want our comfort rather than freedom. And so a question I ask people is, what do you want more than anything else? What sounds like a simple question. What do you want more than anything else? Because if you want to be truly free, more than anything else, nothing will stop it. The thing is, most of us, we don't want to be free more than anything else 
because we're kind of holding on and attached to what we're going to, to have to give up. And so we're often afraid of feeling the truth, speaking the truth, living the truth, telling the truth, because we're afraid of the consequence of what will happen. For me, <clears throat> I was afraid of the consequence of if I really speak my truth, I'm going to lose my father forever. If I really speak my truth, I'm going to be alone. If I really dare to be who I am and speak my truth, nobody's going to love me. My life is over. And so we often let fear hijack us from speaking our truth and sharing our gift and going for it in life out of that fear. <clears throat> what are the lies I'm telling myself? To me, truth is real spiritual practice. Truth is real transformation. Truth is real yoga. Truth is real prayer. Like so many of the things we're frustrated about and we pray about and we want support about, if we started speaking the truth, would begin to fall away. So what lies am I telling myself to be ruthlessly, compassionately honest with oneself? The other thing I'll say is take the pressure off of yourself from having to take action. Sometimes that pressure of having to take action starts making us afraid. And so what we then do is we start playing this game of confusion and we start confusing ourselves and clouding the truth. Like, I'm confused. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know if this relationship is right for me, Scott. I don't know what my purpose is. I'm confused when deep down, we know. We know, we know what we're here to do. We know the truth. I think there's a part of us at the deepest level that knows everything. <clears throat> because at that deepest level, we have a sense. At the deepest level, we have a wisdom. At the deepest level, we're connected to everything. But because of the fear of the consequence, we're often afraid. And so confusion is a defense mechanism from owning our truth out of fear of the consequence. And so I just invite people, when you take the need to take action and, and the, the pressure to take any action off of yourself, then you can just start owning the truth. You know what? I hate my job. You don't have to leave. You don't have to do anything. Just own the truth. I hate my job. Not like, well, maybe. No, no, no. The truth is, I hate my job. The truth is, I'm no longer in, I'm not in love. I haven't been in love for four years. You don't have to divorce. But just feel the truth. And just let that marinate for a moment. That feeling will begin to burn. And often, in a moment, you'll start feeling some things. You'll start feeling some pain. You'll start feeling some emotion. And allow that process to happen. So what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And what is, the what is the lie that I'm telling myself? What is it costing me? The lies that we have been telling ourselves cost us tremendously. What is it costing me? It is painful. When we lie to ourselves, it's meant to be painful. To me, the pain is a signal. The pain is a blessing. The pain is feedback. The pain is showing us those parts of ourselves that we're not in touch with. The pain is showing us those parts of ourselves that we're not being honest about. The pain is actually a sign that we're healthy. Because if we lied to ourselves and we felt great, to me, <laughs> something would be off. And so the fact that we feel pain is a blessing. The, the issue is not the pain, is what we do with that pain. As human beings, we've been conditioned to, to not feel the pain. Numb the pain, drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, porn it away, social media it away, you know, work it away, shop it away, whatever it is, don't feel the pain. And as a result, we suppress it and we keep ourselves stuck. Pain is a blessing. And so ask yourself, the pain that I'm feeling, if it's a messenger, if it's a messenger, it has a signal, it has a sign, it has a message for me. What is the pain telling me? What is the pain trying to show me that I'm feeling? What is the pain trying to re reveal to me that I'm feeling within myself? 
and use the pain as a portal to get in touch with a deeper truth. And it's that truth that will set you free. The way to start deprogramming and unconditioning yourself is to tell yourself the truth. It's number one. So first, be aware of your program. Tell yourself the truth radically, ruthlessly, honestly, and then begin feeling the feelings. Begin feeling those feelings that often we've learned to control and suppress and not feel, and not feeling it is keeping us in a certain stuckness. To me, that, that is part of the, the flow of beginning the programming, the deprogramming process. And so truth, if, if all you did was started to tell the real authentic truth to yourself about who you are, what you want, what you felt, and you live that, life would transform radically. That's my promise. You might lose some people, but likely whatever you lose in your life was no longer truly authentic with who you really are. It was just a match for who you were pretending to be. And most of us, we feel off, we feel pain in our lives because we're living a lie. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, pies, taking candy from babies, both things that are theoretically easy. But anyone who's made a pie from scratch or attempted to pry a lollipop from a screaming toddler knows these things are, in fact, very difficult. But you know what is easy? Integrating, automating, and scaling your business with HubSpot. Now, the HubSpot CRM platform seamlessly transfers customer data into usable insights, like what's the average time it takes us to respond to a customer service request, or how can we get better at it? The HubSpot Service Hub brings all your data and support channels in one place, so your team can spend less time hunting for information and more time delighting customers. Plus, seamless connectivity with marketing and sales hubs means every person on your team has a crystal clear picture of your customer. Easy as HubSpot. Learn how HubSpot can make it easier for your business to grow at HubSpot.com. And then following that path, how do we find, so now we've accepted, we've, 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 we've accepted that we're telling ourselves lies, we're coming to terms with these. How do you find clarity on that thing, that one thing <clears throat> that you're meant to do? Because that is, uh-huh. If I even start to think about it, if I even start to say, oh, I don't like my job or, you know, I don't like my relationship, that's fine. I can understand that and I could be realistic with myself about that. But then I think about the, 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 the massive amount of things that I could do in, in, instead of the job or okay. all of that. <clears throat> that's so vast. Yeah, you're talking a bit about the, 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 the theme around purpose now, you know, in terms of, uh, well, now you have to find your purpose. Life? You can't leave what people here. They're life? going to be stressed out. They're going to be like, <laughs> <laughs> don't leave me in the, yeah. in, in, in the free fall. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so I have a perspective around this. So I'm going to start. Okay. I'm going to start a bit from the macro and then I'm going to get very, very, very specific for people that will give them actionable things to what, in terms of what to do. So I'm going to start saying, first off, stop seeking your purpose. Stop seeking your purpose. The drive to find your purpose is actually taking you further away from trying to find your purpose. And many times the ego, who we think ourselves to be, our perceived sense of self and conditioned self that we attach to, 
the ego, the ego's job is to reinforce its existence. And so one of the ways that ego reinforces its existence is to seek and 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 find that purpose, seek it and never find. And so there's a part inside of us that really doesn't want to find our purpose. <clears throat> because if I don't find my purpose, I don't have to live my purpose. And the seeking, the process of seeking continues. And so I say, stop trying to find your purpose. On a spiritual level, number one, recognize that you are a soul. You are a soul that incarnates into this human experience. Your soul has incarnated and your soul having a human experience. You may have heard that before, your soul having a human experience. And in this human experience, you incarnate into this human experience in order to learn, to grow, to evolve. So to me, start seeing life. Life itself is a school. Life is an evolutionary school for the growth and evolution of your soul. Life is a school for the evolution of your soul. And as a result, then, every situation, every experience, every relationship, everything you go through is part of the curriculum for your soul's evolution so that you can realize more of who you really are and so that you can learn those lessons and grow and come into your most authentic self. And if you start seeing yourself as a soul and understanding that, ah, if, if I'm a soul and I'm here to grow, then the real purpose, the real ultimate purpose of life is to learn the lessons, to grow, to evolve and become your authentic self and remember who you truly are beyond your programmed conditioned self, to remember your essence, to remember your divinity, to remember that infinite spark, to remember your true potential and power. If that's the purpose of life, then you, your purpose isn't what you do. Your purpose is the degree to which you are learning and growing no matter what you're doing. You can be living your ultimate purpose, whether you're trash collector, a Formula One race car driver, a podcaster, uh, uh, a, a stay-at-home mom, uh, uh, an author, uh, 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 an engineer, an electrician, uh, working a barista working in Starbucks. That's what you do. You are not what you do. Your purpose on a deep spiritual level is about evolution. And any moment, regardless of what you do, any moment, you can be living your purpose so long as you're growing and evolving and learning and asking yourself, what is my soul seeking to learn in this experience? What is my soul seeking to understand in this situation? What is my, why, why does my soul attract this situation? Why did my soul attract, attract this boss? Why did my, what, what is the classroom that I'm in right now in this experience? And I think when we do that, we are growing. When we do that, we are living the true purpose. And when we do that, we begin to, when we learn those lessons, we begin to transcend the experience and we start attracting new experiences to us. So your purpose can be live every moment that you're growing, learning and evolving. That's the bigger level. Now on a human level, which is connected to your question, but I wanted to set a bigger context to connect it to, because I think we live on different levels as souls and human beings. On a human level, stop seeking your purpose. <laughs> Instead, so now what the hell do I do? Okay, you can sit there and just try and figure out your purpose from the sidelines, but life doesn't work that way. That is another, can be another strategy of the ego to avoid. Instead, move in the direction. If you're like, I don't know, okay, fair enough, but don't just sit there. Move in the direction of what lights you up. Move 
in the direction of what turns you on. Move in the direction of what sets your soul on fire. Move in the direction of what brings you joy. Just move in the direction. You don't have to know where it's going to end up. You don't have to know where you're going to get to exactly where you need to be because there's an intelligence inside of your soul that knows. It knows. So just go in the direction of like, I feel joy here. I feel aliveness here. I, I don't know where this is going to lead me. I don't even know how I'm going to make money yet. But at, le- at least start navigating rather than just sitting and going, I don't know. And then 10 years go by, go in the direction. Start moving in the direction. You start moving in the direction of what makes you most alive. The aliveness is a sign. The aliveness is a navigation. The aliveness is a radar that pulls you. So as you start going in the direction, take a step. You take a step, then what you'll find is life reveals to you another step. You take another step, you lean in, life reveals to you another step. You lean in, life reveals to you another step. And often your purpose gets revealed to you in the process of taking a step and living life itself. What will often happen is 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 5 years from now, 3 years from now, you look around and you're like, holy moly, I'm, I, I'm living my, I lived into my purpose. I could not have planned this purpose, but I lived into it. But you, but, but you lived into it because you went on the sidelines trying to figure it out. Because the journey that you go on, you take a step. The journey that you go on in, to, in that big step, as you take that step, you grow. As you take that step, you evolve. As you take that step, you expand. As you take that step, your consciousness shifts. And as you learn, grow, and evolve, you become more ripened. You become more ready for the next step. Stop trying to figure out your purpose from the sidelines. You take the step. And then I would say question number one. Okay, what do I love? What turns me on? What brings me joy? Move in that direction. For me as a kid, we lived behind my father's church. We didn't have a lot of money. We lived behind my father's church. My bedroom was so small, you could barely put a one single person bed in it and walk in the room. I had all of these big dreams. So as a kid, I would sneak inside my father's church in the middle of the night, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., And every day, I often don't talk about this, but every day, imagine this kid, 11, 12-year-old kid. I would speak, Scott, I would speak to the empty chairs. I would give seminars for two hours a night, an hour a night. I would give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining, right, imagining I was inspiring people from around the world. I was inspiring people in the the U.S. for free. (laughs) You know, for me, that's what lit me up. That's what turned me on. That's what brought me joy. I would do that for free. I've done it for free. I get paid now, but it didn't matter. And so when you find that joy, go in that direction. You don't have to know the how. So what, what turns me on? What, what, what sets me on fire? What do I love? Number two, but that's not enough. You have to ask yourself, let's make it more practical. What specific skills do I have? What specific, te- like I love Formula One racing, okay? This is one of them, I love it. But I'm, look, I'm never going to be Lewis Hamilton in this lifetime. I'm not going to, it's not going to happen. The kid has, the, the dude has been doing that stuff for, he's 37 years old since he was like three. Okay. <laughs> and so it takes a level of actual competence and skill to be able to perform. That's a reality. But if we look in our lives, I, I, so many people say to me, I, I don't know what skills I have. Just look at your life. Look at every shitty job you've been through. Sometimes the jobs that you have, that you need to work in, sometimes the jobs that, present themselves to you, they're not your purpose. But sometimes you're put there because there's a necessary skill that you're meant to learn in that job. 
And you're going to need that piece of the puzzle, that skill to be able to, to be the person who's able to then fully fulfill your purpose. And I, I, so I always tell people when you're working a job, even if you hate it, do it with ultimate excellence. When you do that job with excellence, then you're able to extract the skill. You become more, but you're able to extract the skill that gives you part of the ingredients to prepare you for your purpose. So look at all of the jobs, all of the situations, all of the experiences, all of the traumas, all of the breakups, all of the failures that you've been through. And look at what specific tangible skills that you learn. Those skills are going to be a part of your purpose and can point you in the direction of perhaps what you're meant to do lies. Number three, what unique gifts do you have that you're able to solve a unique problem? Another way of asking that is, what is the unique problem that you're able to solve? I always tell people, don't, when you think of what to do, don't simply focus on how do I make the most money? You might make money, but often you'll be miserable. And if you're miserable, you'll sabotage it. If you're miserable, it won't sustain. I work with so many people one-on-one in groups, small groups, large groups, billionaires that have made so much money, but they don't feel any purpose, don't feel any connection, and they end up sabotaging what they've created, or they end up not having the motivation to continue. So I always tell people, don't focus on money. Instead, realize that money is a byproduct of adding value. And when you add value, you add value by solving someone's pain, someone's problem, or someone's challenge. And so when you're able to then ask yourself in question number three, what is the, what is the pain, problem, or challenge that I'm uniquely able to solve based on my gifts, based on my skills? Because when you solve someone's pain, problem, or challenge, you're being of true service, and money is just a byproduct of being of service. Number four, I would invite people to really think about, on a practical level, which group of people do I feel a connection to? Which group of people do I feel an affinity to? Maybe you feel a connection to the teenage pregnant girls. Maybe you feel a connection to the, the physically challenged. Maybe you feel a connection to the elderly. Maybe you feel a connection to, you know, I mean, fill in the black, the whales. Maybe whoever you feel a connection to, the group of souls, people that you feel a connection to will often also might, might it might point you in the direction of where your service and where your purpose or what you're meant to do and where you're meant to share your gifts, where that lies. You don't have to know where you're going to end up, but that can start giving you a directional navigation in terms of where to go and don't wait. Look at Oprah. There's no way Oprah could have planned her life. Yeah, I'm going to plan at this age, this is going to happen. And by the time I'm 30, 40, 50, 50, 50 years old, 60 years old, I'm going to be the most powerful media mogul woman in the world. You can't plan, billionaire, you can't plan that. But she loved communication. She loved communication. She didn't sit on the sideline until she was a billionaire. She loved communication. So she became a newscaster. As she became a newscaster, she had too much compassion. So she would cry while reading the news. This wasn't a good, a good thing to do. And so they fired her. They gave her a job. I think it was on a, on, a, on a talk show in Baltimore. It might not be Baltimore, but I think it was Baltimore on a single station. Now her compassion and her sensitivity was able to be married with her love for communication. And the more compassionate she was for people, the more successful her show became. Boom. Syndication. Boom. Number one show. Boom. Mm -hmm. 25 years later, Oprah. Look at Obama. I mean, how does Obama love him or hate him is irrelevant to me. But look at Obama. How does this guy at age 19 go, yeah, I'm going to be president of the United States? But he started somewhere. And that led him. 
And so I really believe that if you follow your soul, follow the nudging, follow the nudging. It doesn't always have to make sense. If you follow that nudging of your soul, your soul has an intelligence. It will guide you. And you will, that's when you will often end up. Where you will often end up when you allow your soul to guide you will be beyond what your mind can manufacture and create on its own. Talk, talk to me about <clears throat> once you go down this path, talk to me about mindset, courage, getting out of your own <clears throat> way so that you can do your best work and not let, not let you get in the way of you. Because if you listen to the instructions you've just given over, now you have the, the, the playbook and the guide for <clears throat> deprogramming and finding clarity and finding purpose. And now you want to go forward. So what do I do so that I don't always fall back into my old habits? You know, uh, so I think there's a couple of things. Um, we'll start with the basic first. I think uh, you're incredible, by the way. Thank so, you for going into all this. I appreciate. It. So, 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 surround yourself on a basic level. Surround yourself with with a group of people, with a community of people, uh, because sometimes the eyeball doesn't see itself, and sometimes we convince ourselves about certain things that's just complete BS, and we believe our own BS. And so, when you surround yourself with people that can hold you accountable right and reflect to you who you are they can hold you accountable number one so when they see you going down a path they're like hey 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 scott 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 come on come on you you, you what are you doing here or or when you forget who you are you forget your truth you forget your power you have a moment a human moment they'll look at you and say hey hey scott remember come on i know who you are i see who you are and so when you surround yourself with that group of that tribe of people that can remind you of your own magnificence Hold you accountable, remind you of your magnificence, even when you forget, uh, that's a very important container. I think in our world today, we lack that, we miss that, we, we haven't prioritized that. So find a tribe, surround yourself with those people, hold each other accountable, and remind them of who they are. That's super important in terms of keeping your mindset high in a world and an environment where we're constantly being bombarded by the news and so much so much nonsense, you know. I always say the news and the media have no investment in you being free. Because the moment you're free, the moment you know who you are, the moment you know that you are an infinite, powerful being, you can no longer live in fear. You can no longer be controlled and manipulated. And now you become truly dangerous and powerful to impact humanity. The other thing I would say is, back to your question, sounds simple, but it, I would say, yeah, surrender. Practice surrender. Practicing to... To, be in, to being in flow is practicing surrender. We are constantly, for the reasons I've shared, you know, the, 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 the mechanism of our programming and our egos and how we hold on to avoid pain, to not feel certain things, we're constantly resisting life, constantly resisting the flow. But I think the more we can surrender, the more life flows. Life is already flowing. We just put the brakes on. And the more we can surrender, the more we can live in harmony with life. We start seeing that life has a rhythm and life has a flow. Look, don't take it from me. Take it from Bruce Lee. And if you think that surrender, oh, surrender, what do you mean? If you think surrender is weak, look at Bruce Lee, man. This guy was a monster. This guy was amazing. This guy was incredible. This guy can kick anyone's ass on the planet. And he said, be like water. He didn't say be like a bull. He didn't say be like a lion. He didn't say be like a freaking beast. He said be like water. When you put water into a teapot, it becomes a teapot. 
When you put water into a cup, it becomes a cup. You have to flow. But because of our addiction to control or the illusion of control, we stop flowing. So surrender. In our culture today, so I really believe that surrender is perhaps the most powerful thing that we can do. If you want to be a super achiever, if you want to be truly great, I'm talking great like Jesus, Buddha, Mother Teresa, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Gandhi, you know, uh, uh, okay, this is going to be a little controversial, Elon Musk or, or Mandela. Like, if you want to be truly great, great, really great, Jordan, Michael Jackson, great, you have to surrender. And that surrender is the password to freedom. Surrender is the key to greatness. Surrender is the key, the real secret to, to, to manifestation is in surrender. In our culture today, we have been taught mistakenly that surrender is weak. We have been taught mistakenly that surrender is, means giving up. It means waving the white flag. It means being a doormat. It means being a victim. That if you surrender, you're going to be taken advantage of. That if you surrender, you won't manifest your goals, dreams, or desires. You'll be a monk and shave your head and, you know, go to the Himalayas and give everything up. But if you, who the hell wants to do that, right? If you surrender, then you're going to get less in life. And I want to reframe this whole concept because I think if there's something that people can practice, and it's a practice, I'm not saying it will happen all at once, but if there's something that people can begin practicing as you start deprogramming yourself, is surrender. That if you surrender, what if you didn't get less? But what if you got more? More than you could even have planned and imagined with your logic and your mind and your own ego's capacity to control. So surrender means letting go of control. Or I should say letting go of the control that you thought you had. If you look at the last couple of years of this pandemic, I think we're being reminded that perhaps we weren't in as much control as we thought as humanity. We weren't. I mean, we thought we were going down a trajectory 2020, boom, life exploded. The universe saying, hey, you thought you guys thought you were in control? Take a look. Quick reminder, quick reset. Surrender is to stop trying to force life, manipulating and forcing life to fit your limited idea of how you think it should look and how you think it should be. Because so often we... We think we know what we want and we, and we try to force life to fit our idea. We try to force people to fit what we th want them to be. But trying to force something to be or force someone to be doesn't make it so. Surrender is being open. Surrender is being available. Surrender is letting go of who you think you should be and how you think life should be so that you can be truly open, truly available, truly curious. When we surrender, you live open and you allow life to show you. You're allowing life. You're co-creating with life. When you surrender, you take the limits off of life and you're open. Many of us, we don't realize in our forcing, it's got to be this. This person has to be the one. Life has to be, this has to be my career. We don't realize we end up, we're, we're freaking limiting life. We're putting limitations, we're choking life. We're putting limitations on life. And sometimes we get so attached to what we think we want, like that we go to life with a thing saying life, I, I really want this peanut. We're not aware that life is seeking to give us a whole buffet. But we're attached to this peanut because that's all we can see. That's all our limited egos can see. But when you're open and you're available, you live in surrender. And when you're in surrender, you are, you are open to infinite possibilities. And life is infinite. How many, how, how many stars are there? in the sky.
how many grains of sand are there? Right now, you and I, we're breathing. You're breathing, I'm breathing. We're having this great conversation. We're not sitting here going, okay, we've got to force our breath, man. Scott, breathe, breathe. Because if you don't breathe, you know, if you don't breathe, like shit, we're going to die from this conversation. It's just happening in spite of us. We're laughing, we're talking, we're connecting, we're sharing. Breath is happening. You wait, you know, I just had lunch earlier. You, you had breakfast this morning. Maybe someone had a smoothie, a kale salad, a, a steak, a salmon, whatever you are. If you're vegan, I'm sorry. But you had whatever you had. And how is it that your, your hand doesn't turn into a steak or a salmon or a smoothie? There's an intelligence, an innate intelligence inside of you that knows exactly what to do. Cut your finger. You don't have to be a good person. You don't have to even pray or meditate. Healing happens. To me, the same intelligence that is functioning you and breathing you and breathing me is the same intelligence that's breathing all of existence. It's the same intelligence that is functioning the sun, the star, the moon. I mean, how, when was the last time the sun didn't come out? There's an intelligence functioning life. And so how, how do we not trust this? How do we not trust life? Like, like, how do you not trust life when every second life is showing us, but we just forget. So I just tell everyone, Breathe. Take a moment. Get in touch with your breath. Take a moment to slow down, connect with your body. Feel this intelligence in your body. Meditate on your body. Get into relationship with your body. When you start feeling your body, you start getting back into, wow, there is something beating me. There is something breathing me. There is something functioning me. Okay. Spend time in nature. Slow down. Spend time in nature. As human beings, we've become so disconnected from nature that we have forgotten that we are a part of nature. When you spend time in nature and you see the rhythms and the cycles and the seasons and the sun and the moon, it's like, wait a second. Something is functioning, existence, that we are a part of this existence. Then it starts reminding us, oh, maybe I don't have to like control everything. I don't have to control everything and everyone. Oh, okay. You can relax and observe and allow. It's the allowing that helps us kind of get out of the way. If you look at peak performers, if you look at, don't take it from me, because you might say, ah, this cute guy, you know, is a nice, no, take it from Michael Jordan, okay? Everybody wants to be like Mike. When he would play, he would always talk about being in the zone. He would always talk about he would dissolve. He was gone when he was in that zone. Michael Jackson, one of the greatest dancers in the world, would talk about when he was dancing, there was no more him dancing. There was just the dance happening, getting out of the way. And I think when we dare to get out of the way and realize we're not doing life, life is doing us. Life has been around for billions of years. That's when we transcend ourselves. That's when we transcend our ego's limited capacity to make shit happen. And then we tap into another dimension of life. And then, then I have found the, 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 the power of life and the, and the full energy of begins, life begins to manifest through you. See, the old paradigm that we've been conditioned, and I read a hell of a lot of books as a kid growing up, it's all about know what you want, get what you want, know what you want, get what you want, how to get what you want, how to get what you want, how to get what you want. No, but, but, but we never question who is this I? That is programmed and conditioned. And so many times you get what you thought you wanted. Then you end up realizing, oh, maybe what I thought I wanted is not what I really wanted because I'm not really happy. Maybe what I thought I wanted is not what I really wanted. It's just what I thought I wanted. 
based on who I thought I was. But if I'm not in touch with who I really am, then what I thought I wanted is just going to be an illusion or a projection of something that's not a true, authentic desire. Maybe as a child, that wasn't enough and dad wasn't there. And I thought, if I can get that Lamborghini, if I can get that girl, I get that house, get that thing, then I'm going to be worthy and valuable. So many times we don't realize that what we want, our goals, aren't always authentic. They're coming from wounds. They're coming from projections. And so you can manifest life by getting in the way. People have done it. You can, I'm not going to say you can't, you can live a good life and, and create. Lots of people do it, but it won't be a great life. Mandela lived a great life. He could, Mandela could not have imagined. He could not have sat down and scripted and imagined that kind of life. Yeah, I'm going to spend 26 years in prison and then I'm going to come out and I'm going to be Nelson Mandela. Mandela. That's not a life you can imagine. But he did surrender himself to his calling. He did surrender himself to the deep calling of his soul. For him, it would look different for you and I. But for him, that led him to 26 years in prison. Should he have not spent 26 years in prison? What would have happened if he didn't spend 26 years in prison? Would he have become <clears throat> the Nelson Mandela that we know? Maybe that 26 years in prison was a necessary marination the necessary preparation for his soul to develop the mental, the emotional, spiritual, psychological empathy, forgiveness, soul force, so that he could come out and be the Mandela that even when he's dead now, he's still inspiring people to this day. So should it not have happened? You know. And so for me, the question that we need to start asking ourselves in the new paradigm is not, what do I want? Because sometimes what we think we want is not what we really want. The real question to ask is, slightly different question. What is it that life wants to express through me? What is the deepest impulse? And I want everyone to just try it. Just try it. What is, what is the deepest impulse, the deepest impulse of my soul? What does my soul want to express? What is the most authentic, deepest impulse of my being? What, is, what does God want to express? What does the infinite want to express? What does the universe want to express? What does my soul want to express me? Whatever you want to label it, call it, doesn't matter to me. What does the deepest, most authentic expression of my being want to do. Feel that. Be still. Be silent. Feel that. We know we have a sense and move in that direction. When you move in that direction, then you're going, going, in, you're going in an authentic path. You're living in alignment. Then you can align your goals, your intentions, your actions with what's true. And then you go into action. You give 100%. You give everything. It might mean you work harder than you've ever worked. It might mean you work 20 hours a day for the cause that's true. It might mean you quit your job. It might mean you, you, you go protest for something you believe that you've been afraid to believe, but it's in your soul. But you let go of the attachment to the outcome. It's the attachment to the outcomes that create suffering. Can you talk on one more thing that I thought was sure, very sure. interesting? The last, the last main point that I wanted to, to pull out of you, there's, you, you could go, I have like 20 things and we could do like <laughs> five of these. And if you ever do want to see Formula One, it's coming to Miami. So you should come to Miami and then we should do it in person because it would be incredible. Be um, but you let me know. Anyway, we can organize. But the last thing that I really wanted to touch on, at least for today, um, I wanted to touch on the importance of death, embracing death understanding your own mortality, understanding that life is temporary, because I think that that can be, 
we talk about fear and we talk about we talk about pain and we talk about understanding the things that will allow us to embark on this journey that we've been speaking about for the past hour i think that i think that understanding what death is is one of the most important things that can be that catalyst for <clears throat> us taking action because it puts a time limit on what we can what we can do and i thought it was just a nice sort of bow to to finish off this thought yeah. so We've yeah. gone through this journey of deprogramming, finding clarity, finding purpose, and 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 getting out of your own way when you do find that purpose. But let's let's put some urgency on it. Yeah, look, the urgency is <laughs> what bigger urgency than death. So I would just tell everyone, you are going to die. You're gonna die. Feel that. Let me say that again. You're gonna die. If that's not the greatest motivational speech ever, I mean, you are going to die. Feel that. So often, the issue is, so many of us, we're avoiding death. We're, we're distracting ourselves from death. We're distracting ourselves with frivolous entertainment. Nothing wrong with it. But we waste so much of our time on stuff that's not important. And we waste and we try to avoid death. But if you can just do one thing, hold death close. Hold it close. Keep it near. Feel your death daily, not as a morbid thing or a sad thing, but as just a real sobering reality of life. When you feel death close, to me, if you can't feel and embrace your death, you will never truly be able to feel and embrace and live life fully. The degree to which you can embrace death, you will get in touch with the sacredness and preciousness of this moment, the reality of this moment, that this moment is the only guarantee. Tomorrow is not a right. When my mother passed away in 2017 due to stomach cancer, I thought I had time. There were so many things, Scott, I wanted to do with my mom. There were so many plans I wanted to, 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 wanted to make, and I thought I had time. I thought I had time. I thought we can do it tomorrow. I didn't, I didn't prioritize so, much th so many things. The only regret I have in my life, and I've done a lot of stuff, not spending more time with my mom. And so I want you all to feel your death. Jesus died, Buddha died, Bruce Lee died, Muhammad Ali died, Muhammad died, Lao Tzu died, Socrates died, Bob Marley. I mean, if these great ones are going to die, you and I are going to die. It's guaranteed. It's the only guarantee. The body will die. What makes us afraid is we think and we've been conditioned and programmed by culture, society, media to believe that we are just this limited ego structure. Because if we can believe that we're just this limited ego structure, we can be manipulated and controlled with fear. You're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, shit. But when you know that you're not just this body, when you know that you are a soul, your soul is beyond birth and beyond death. This body is the vehicle that carries your soul in this lifetime. It connects you to a different reality, a different freedom, a different knowing. And so ask yourself, who am I and what am I? To me, this is the purpose of life, to realize that who am I and what am I? Am I just this body? This body is constantly changing. This is not the same body you had when you were five. This is not the same body you had five years ago. This is not the same body you had three years ago. In fact, every seven years, it said that your body physically changes. So who am I? Are you just this body? When you realize and know that you're not just this body, you start to realize that what you are can never die. That's a freedom that opens up in the knowing that you're infinite. But this body will die. This version of you as you will dissolve. And when you can embrace that, 
because you embrace your true immortality and you embrace your physical mortality. The people in 9-11 or any disaster had no idea that they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, hey, I'm sorry, or I love you, or forgive me. They thought they had time, and we don't. And when you die and you meet your maker, you can't go to God and say, God, can I get a refund on those two years I wasted in that relationship, those five years I wasted in that job. When the time is gone, it's gone, and it's gone forever. So if death came today, some of you might feel, why are you being so dramatic? But I promise you, the people that died today, most of them didn't think they were dying today. It just happened in that car accident. It just happened in that moment. And so if death came today, would you be ready? And if not, why not? What would you need to say? What would you need to do? What would you need to communicate? Well, who would you need to forgive? I'm saying, do it now. So that if death came, you could throw your arms open and die with no regrets. To me, that is to be fully alive. So live life fully. We have one opportunity, you know, at this at this life, as, at least as this version of ourselves, we have one opportunity. And so live life fully, you know. Life is short, life is sweet, life is precious. It's not perfect, and it's perfect in so many ways. That's what makes it beautiful. If you were gonna look back at all the work that you've done <clears throat> and, the, and the things that you've completed with your time on earth, what do you want your legacy to be? What do you want to have had accomplished? You know, um... Just, just to have, I think it's simple now, you know. I want to have inspired people to remember who they really are and to love more fully. Because I think everything else from there will take care of itself. Let's do, to, to finish this off, I want to do rapid fire, but most importantly, before we pivot, let's go into all the links where people can connect with you, where people can learn sure, more, people can get sure. your book, all of that. Cool. Thank you very much. Yeah, the, the, depending on when people listen to the conversation, um, the book, The Magic of Surrender, is coming out in paperback on May the 3rd. So go to Amazon. You can pre-order the book and get a bunch of free gifts. So go to Amazon, pre-order the book. Um, and then on May the 7th, again, depending on timing, May the 7th, I'm doing a very special online virtual live event. It's called Reinvent Live, two to three hours. I'm going to dive deep how to reinvent yourself, connect to your authentic power and share your gifts with the world. Um, when you get the book on Amazon, go to www.kootblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. That's K-U-T-E blackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar. Um, and then just enter your name, email and your receipt info from the paperback. Uh, from Amazon, and then you get access to the free event. You get access to a whole bunch of gifts there. Um, I'm on Instagram, Coop Blackson. Say hi. Facebook, Coop Blackson. My website, Coop Blackson. If anyone feels moved by today's conversation and you want to go for some deep dive transformation, my favorite thing to do is I do a 12-day event in Bali twice a year. The next one is July the 25th, and then also December the 4th, December the 5th, sorry, uh, 12 days in Bali, if you're ready for your next level and you want to share your gifts with the world, www.boundlessblissbali.com.
Beautiful. Okay. Um, let's do a couple rapid fire <clears throat> to close this out. So um, you've had quite a life, an incredible career, but what keeps you up at night now? What keeps me up at night? Honestly, nothing. <laughs> nothing really keeps me up at night. I sleep like a like a like a log. You know, I just I, you know I just love people. Ultimately, I love human beings. I love humanity, and so just reaching more people, inspiring more people, and and uh, wanting to help people transform. Biggest challenge you've overcome in your personal life. What was it? How'd you overcome it? What'd you learn from it? There's been so many. Um, Pick one. I'll pick one because it's a meaningful one. Uh, maybe there's the others are more difficult, but, but uh, it's healing the relationship with my father. We weren't very close growing up. There was, a, at least for me, a tremendous sort of resentment towards him for not feeling supported. And in the last years, especially since my mother passed away even more, a whole nother level, I have really healed the relationship with my father. And I call him every day as a duty as a love as a as, as a as an offering to him you know and uh it's really transformed our relationship in a big way i gave up every expectation of him being anything and just decided that i was going to love him and that i'm very proud of that to be honest um this may be this may or maybe the same answer or not but the question is if you had to pick one person who's had a major impact on your life there's obviously been many but who would one person be and what did you learn from them i picked my mother I mean, uh, she loved me completely unconditionally and was one of the most selfless, humble human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And when she passed away in those last moments, I realized that she was in effect an enlightened being and I never knew it because she was fearless and she didn't have to tell anyone. She didn't have to promote it to anyone. She didn't need fame. She didn't need fortune. She just knew who she was. She was not afraid to die because she knew. She looked me in the eyes and she says, I'm not this body. I'm a soul. And uh, she's a very special being. And so she gives me a lot of courage, you know, from the other side. If you had to pick one book, podcast, one source that has inspired you that somebody should go check out. <clears throat> um, Ramana Maharishi an old, enlightened Indian mystic. It's good. Very good. Uh, if you had to tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Many things, but one thing I would say, be bold, take those risks, and start investing your freaking money right now so it can compound interest. <laughs> That's good, good advice, good advice. No, it's good. Um, last question. What does success mean to you? Success, true success for me means uh, just knowing who I am, you know, and being free to be that and live that each moment. It's pretty simple. Knowing my true, when, when I say knowing who I am is knowing who I truly am as a spiritual being. That's, that's true success for me.
I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards, and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. 